Again, our scripture reading is found on Matthew chapter 5, 33 through 37. Matthew chapter 5, 33. Again, you have heard it was said to the people long ago, Do not break your oath, but keep the oaths you have made to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot even make even one hair white or black. Simply let your yes be yes, and your no be no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. May God bless the reading of his word. Thanks, Emily. Morning, everyone. Good to see all of you this morning. I see a lot of our college students are back, so I'd like to also welcome you back. It's good to have you here this morning. I also wanted to thank Emily for her prayer for Hurricane Harvey. I know Minister Stan's parents had to evacuate due to the flood, but I think they may be back in their home now. My brother's family had to evacuate, and then I just got word that he was able to return to his home uh, just today. Um, and Stan and I also personally both know families whose homes were flooded out, people who've lost tons of things. So, yeah, I would ask all of you to continue to pray for the recovery as it's going to take a long time for things to get back to normal. Uh, I remember back in 2005 when Hurricane Katrina hit the New Orleans area, tens of thousands of people were evacuated out of Houston. And I was living there at the time, and I volunteered with a small group of people from my church to go down to the Astrodome and uh, help with some of the 25,000 people that were housed there. And I just remember waking up one morning, and I had to be there at uh, 2.30 in the morning to start cooking breakfast uh, for some of the people living there. And, and just after cooking breakfast, you know, we got a chance to talk to some of the uh, evacuees. And you could just see how they were... You know, just regular families trying to get by after the devastation the hurricane caused. And it reminded me that you know, this, this could happen to anyone. And, and it took years and years for, for uh, New Orleans to fully recover. Some say it hasn't even fully recovered. And as, I, and as I watched the news about Hurricane Harvey, I sensed that recovery will be just as or even more difficult because of the larger magnitude of the storm. So, so continue to pray for them. I know there was an announcement in the bulletin too about if you feel led to donate, our social concerns committee uh, rec- uh, recommends two places to give to. I also appreciate Emily praying for other parts of the world that often our U.S. news doesn't cover. As we think about the rains and the flooding, it was brought to my attention too that the U.S. media didn't really cover this, but there's just worse rains and flooding in uh, Southeast Asia recently. Uh, More than 1,200 people died due to severe monsoon rains in India, uh, Nepal, and Bangladesh. 41 million people overall were affected. Two-thirds of Bangladesh, they say, is underwater. And more rain is forecast for these countries, which and it's been described as one of the worst uh, rain seasons in history. So you can easily do a web search to find out more. Uh, but, you know, when you think about praying for things that we are often bombarded by in the news, like Hurricane Harvey, and as Emily 
Syria and prayer, we also want to remember things that are less noticed, such as what's going on in Sierra Leone and uh, Bangladesh, India, Nepal, other countries. Well, let's get to our message for this morning. And, and as Emily shared, we are continuing our series on the Sermon on the Mount, which we've entitled Living a Kingdom Lifestyle. And we call it this because nowhere else in Scripture do we get in such condensed form a clear teaching on how one is to live as a member of God's kingdom. And this passage today is going to talk about being truth-tellers. And this is a timely topic because it seems that truth in our culture is just being brushed aside in favor of people, people telling others you know, just the things that they want to hear. Our, show, our shows and our movies seem to encourage and support acts of deception and lies. I was flipping through channels uh, the other day, and I noticed that they brought back this old TV game show. I don't know if you saw it, that this old TV game show was called To Tell the Truth. And if you haven't seen it before, it's a show where there's one person that they bring up who has a unique uh, occupation or ability, and they put two other people alongside this person. And there's this panel of four people who haven't met any of these three people. And through questioning these three, they have to decide who is the person that actually fits this, this given description. And so the two fakers, of course, have to you know, bluff and lie their way through these questions to make the panel think that he or she is the one that they should pick. And it's a popular show because people like to see you know, who can lie or deceive the best. Even you know, in, in news and things like this, our people are, are, are conditioned to be skeptical about anything being said. We have our president attacking the media, calling it fake news, while he himself is being exposed for saying things that aren't always true. I ran across a prayer prayed at the opening of a Kansas Senate about 30 years ago that the same could, be hold, could hold true today. Fred Holloman, who, was a, 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 who served as a chaplain, for the Kansas Senate for more than 30 years, often, often opened up the Senate with prayers uh, you know, that, uh, that um, characterized his dry wit and biting humor. And he once prayed this during the opening of a Kansas Senate. He said, Omniscient Father, help us to know who is telling the truth. One side tells us one thing and the other just the opposite. And if neither side is telling the truth, we would like to know that too. And if each side is telling half the truth, give us the wisdom to put the right halves together. In Jesus' name, amen. Once again, you hear that prayer and you're like, man, that that prayer could be prayed today with such uh, meaning and authority. So as we turn to our passage, we're going to see Jesus has quite to say, or as much to say on this topic. At the beginning of our passage, Jesus opens up in verse 33. Again, you have heard it said to people long ago. And if you haven't been here for this series, what Jesus is doing is giving illustrations to show how his followers must have a righteousness that surpasses that of the Pharisees and teachers of the law, which he mentions back in verse 20 of Matthew 5. This is the fourth, this passage represents the fourth a sixth illustration Jesus uses to show how his followers' righteousness must surpass that of the Pharisees. 
Before this, he talked about murder. And then last week, Pastor Tim covered two other areas, which were adultery and divorce. And in our section, in verse 33, he continues, Do not break your oaths, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. In Jesus' previous examples, we could find exact Old Testament scripture references that Jesus started when he made this quote, like, again, you have heard it said. For example, he said, you know, you have heard it said, do not murder, do not commit adultery. Obviously, these were um, references from the Ten Commandments. But here in our passage, there's not one exact reference it seems Jesus is pointing to. There's many references he could be pointing to. As an example would be Leviticus 19.12, which says, Do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. And then another example. Oh, sorry. Do not swear falsely by my name and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. And then Deuteronomy 23, verses 21 and 23 says this. If you make a vow to the Lord your God, do not be slow to pay it. For the Lord your God will certainly demand it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. Whatever your, li- your lips utter, you must be sure to do, because you made your vow freely to the Lord your God with your own mouth. So here the Old Testament commands seem pretty clear, right? If you say you're going to do something, you need to do it. But Jesus continues in our passage. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. So, so what does he mean, you know, by all of this? What does he mean when he says, don't take an oath? So those are commandments in the Old Testament seem quite clear, as carnal people like ourselves often do, they try to look for loopholes or ways around the commands, which is what happened over time. And this led to a system of scaling oaths. As people read the command in the Old Testament, instead of focusing on phrases like, do not swear falsely, or whatever your lips utter, you must be sure to do, they focused on the phrase, to the Lord, or unto the Lord. See, the teachers and religious leaders understood that with a command like Leviticus 19.12, if they swore unto the Lord, they needed to do what was said, because to not do so would be to take the name of the Lord in vain, which was strictly forbidden. But what if they didn't make a vow in God's name? What if we took a verse like Deuteronomy 23.21, which means if you make a vow to the Lord your God, do not be slow to pay it, to mean... That if you make a vow to the Lord your God, you better be not, you better not be slow to pay it. But if you don't make it unto the Lord, you don't have to pay it. So some religious leaders back then, and I'm not kidding with me, and discussed, when would an oath be binding, and when would it not be? They decided, well, if you swore by your name, if you swore by some object that didn't include God's name or imply it, it was not binding. So people would say things, I swear by my beard, right? Or, you know, may the comfort, may Israel never be comforted if what I say doesn't come true. And one specific example, one rabbi even taught that to swear by Jerusalem 
If you swore by Jerusalem, you were not bound. But if you swore toward Jerusalem, you were bound because somehow swearing towards Jerusalem was invoking the name of the Lord. They also decided that some objects of reference carried more weight than others. So swearing by one's life might carry more weight than swearing by one's beard or one's you know, purse or whatever. And, and so you can imagine how ridiculous a situation like this could get. I mean, they, they'd just be thinking of all these things to swear by to make people think they were telling the truth when in reality they had no intention to. It's like me if I said, you know, if I don't do what I say, may, may my brother Paul over there shrink to five feet tall and may like infectious boils cover his skin. And you'd be thinking like, what kind of oath is that? You know, and Paul's like, you know, leave me out of this. It's like this game this kids, these kids used to play. I don't know if they still play it now where they would, you know, say something but if they had their fingers crossed behind their back, you know, they didn't have to do it. It's the same thing that Jesus was referring to. So in a passage, Jesus says, you know, stop. Stop this nonsense. And he references God's omnipresence and sovereignty to call out their faulty thinking. Going back to verse 34 and 36, what in essence he's saying is this. He says, you can't just swear by heaven and think it doesn't matter because heaven is God's throne. You can't swerve by earth and think it doesn't count because the earth is God's footstool. You can't swerve by Jerusalem and think that carries no weight because it's God's city. No matter what you swear by, it doesn't matter because God is there. God's everywhere. And Jesus continues, even if you swear by your head, it's not you who make your hair, it's not you who makes your hair white or black. It's God. So I don't think just because you don't actually use the Lord's name, you can take an oath and think it's not binding because God is everywhere and God is sovereign overall. And he adds, people who live according to kingdom principles shouldn't need to take vows anyway. They should be people who others know. Once they say something, their yes is yes and their no is no. Let's consider a couple implications Jesus' teaching may have for us. First, in verse 34, Jesus instructs, do not swear by an oath at all, then should we really be taking oaths? What about situations that we are put in where we are asked to take an oath? Can you think of like situations where you might be placed in to take an oath? Well, how about a court of law, right? Or you have to put your hand on the Bible and say, you know, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, so help me God. I'm not sure if you know this, but there's some groups out there like the Quakers, others in the past were like the Moravians. They took an absolutist view on verse 34. And they said they would not swear an oath at all. They even refused to swear an oath in court. George Fox, the founder of the Quakers, was even in prison in England in the 1600s for refusing to take an oath in court. Not in anything what he said to the judge, Fox had this great response when the judge told him he was going to jail for refusing to take an oath. He told the judge, 
he had given me this Bible here to kiss and to swear on this book. And this book, which you have given me, says to kiss the sun. And the sun says in the book, don't swear an oath at all. I do as the book says, and yet you imprison me. Why don't you imprison the book for saying such? And so in the beginning, in, 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 the, in the early beginnings of the U.S., many colonies accepted the Quakers from having to take an oath in the court of law. And alternatively, they would just let them affirm that they were telling the truth. And this exemption actually holds true even today. Though it doesn't apply just to the Quakers, but others who may object to taking oaths. So they don't have to swear in the Bible. They can just say, I'm against taking oaths, but I affirm that what I am telling is the truth. But when you think about it, is it really necessary for Christians to go to such an extreme? You know, I don't think so. The reason being is we find examples in the New Testament, even after Jesus taught this, where people saw, swore oaths and didn't see it as a problem. Paul in 2 Corinthians 1 verse 23 says, I call God as my witness and I stake my life on it, that it was in order to spare you that I did not return to Corinth. So it's these words, in essence, is just like Paul taking an oath. I swear, you know, to God that I, I did not return to Corinth to spare you. Also in Romans 1.9, he says something similar. He says, God whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his son is my witness how constantly I remember you. So Paul obviously sees no problem with taking oaths. And remember that Jesus was put in a, even in a similar situation when he was arrested and was under trial before the high priest. In Matthew 26, verse 20. In Matthew 26, verse 63, it reads, The high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. And Jesus responded in the next verse, You have said so. So here Jesus didn't reply, Well, I refuse to answer that question because it's forbidden for me to take an oath. He told the high priest, Yes, it is as you say. So from Jesus and Paul's example of they didn't shy away from taking an oath or saying something under oath, then we don't need to shy away from taking oaths either. Because the issue is not so much about taking an oath, but being true to what was said. And this leads to the last implication I want us to consider, and that is being this community of trust. A community where people inside and outside are convinced Oaths are not needed because our word is truth. You know, it's interesting to think that the reason we even need to take oaths or people think we need to take oaths is the fact that the hearer or speaker at least doesn't think that, that the person who speaks is speaking truth in the first place. German theologian Helmut Felix shared this. He said, Whenever I utter the formula, I swear to God, I am really saying, now I'm going to mark off an area of absolute truth and put walls around it to cut it off from the muddy floods of untruthfulness and irresponsibility that ordinarily overruns my speech. In fact, I am even saying more than this. I'm saying that people are expecting me to lie from the start. And just because they're counting on my lying 
They have to bring up these big guns of oaths and words of honor. And I think there's some truth to what he said. I was speaking with someone who shared something confidential with me, and the person made me promise that I wouldn't share this information to others, which I said I, I promised I would do. And then the person came back and said, Do you think you promised? And, and, and I, I saw that and I just started laughing because I was, well, first I was a bit off guard that the person would even ask me, but then I was like, Why do we even need to do this? I said, You know, we're not kids. You know, and, and I don't know if I told you, I'm not going to, you know, share it. I, I won't. And, and, and I think, you know, in truth, and I don't think the, it was the person really thought I was going to renege on my promise. I think it was just maybe this little act would help this person, you know, feel a little more assured. But, you know, as members of God's kingdom, Jesus is saying, you know, let's not even go that far. Be people of integrity. Be people who keep your word. If one has trouble keeping his or her word, it's probably a reflection of a deeper issue. For in Matthew 12, verse 34, Jesus teaches, For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if one has trouble keeping his or her word, his or her words, it's not just a tongue problem, it's a heart problem. And one needs to really reflect where his or her relationship with Jesus is. So as Christ followers, may we be those who recognize that we are, or may people recognize in us that we have integrity in speech. Especially in our culture today, where there is such a lack of it. If we live such ways, people outside the kingdom will be drawn to Jesus as they see us living according to his higher ethical standard. Jesus summed that up well in verse 37. Simply let your yes be yes and your no, no. Anything beyond that comes from the evil one. So let us be people who keep the words simple and short and not give in to the evil one. Because people think we speak words of untruth. Or people feel we have to take oaths in order to be assured that what we speak is true. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your teaching on this subject. Father, it's so true we live in a culture where people are so skeptical about what's being said because of just people spouting falsehoods and lies. Lord, um, may people see us, call ourselves Christ followers, as those who are different from the rest of the world. May they see us as people who live and speak, who live lives of integrity and speak words with integrity. May they see that we live to a higher ethical standard you set forth in your word. Father, help us to reflect on this teaching from Matthew twelve thirty four. Help us to reflect where our heart is in this. And may your spirit point out any adjustments that we may have to make in this area. 
We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.